Welcome to the Saturday Blitz Podcast with your tailgater crew, John Mitchell and Zach Bogalki. Welcome to the Saturday Blitz Podcast, everybody. I'm Zach Bogalki here with John Mitchell. It's been a long time since we've been with you all. Uh, since we last talked, uh, John moved time zones and moved across states. He's now... Uh, nestled in his new abode in Virginia talking to us. So for the first time ever, we are talking simultaneously in the same time zone with one another as we record this podcast. So small milestones, everybody. Uh, speaking of that move, how are you doing, John? Been a long time. I'm doing good. Just trying to adjust to this hellscape of a time zone. I mean, it's been particularly difficult with March Madness and, you know, Alabama's finally in the tournament and making a bit of a run. So they played at 845 Eastern the other night, which was not easy having to get up and go to work early the next morning. So, uh, but I'm doing good. It is funny that we're finally in the same time zone. When we first started this podcast, Zach was on the Pacific time zone and I was central. And then he moved into the Eastern time zone. And now we're both on the Eastern time zone. So, God only knows a couple years from now what'll be, uh, where we'll be and what we'll be doing, but we'll probably still be talking to all of you. Yeah, we'll be recording this live from the Azores or something, considering we just keep pushing east and, well, we're getting awful close to water. I don't know how much further east either of us can go. I guess I still have a few hours, but you're getting awful close to it there, John. I know. We're awful close to one another, too, so one of these days when... You know, we're both vaccinated and COVID is in the rearview mirror. Finally, maybe we'll have a live version of this podcast where Zach and I indulge in a, a few local brews in whichever direction we end up and have a live version of this taping, maybe during a game or something like that. And you get to hear us talk some talk some mess. Yeah, that it, it's going to happen one of these days. Everybody will just see when it actually finally gets to happen. Uh I guess a lot of that is dependent on how fast Pennsylvania can get their acting gear and actually rolling out vaccinations across the state. Uh, because I, I, I'm, I'm currently eligible for a vaccine, um, have been for about a month now, and can't find a damn vaccine to save my life. So if you have a lead, hit me up at Zivagalki on Twitter for vaccines in Center County, Pennsylvania. I'm all for it. Um, and when you get your chance, do go get yours as well, everybody. Uh, you know, the, the sooner we all do this, the sooner we can feel better about congregating in, you know, crowds of tens of thousands watching football together. And that's, you know, that's a big part of why we talk about this sport as much as we do it is sort of that camaraderie that comes with it so you know like I said John a lot has happened in our own lives since you know we last got to talk but a lot has happened around college football as well um and the one thing that keeps sticking in my mind and I, I've been really curious what you thought about all of it as it went down is Les Miles is no longer at Kansas. And, you know, when he first got hired, we kind of raised an eyebrow together and, and wondered, 
really what was a positive end game that could possibly come out of that. And I, 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 I think even in the worst of expectations, this was not really the ending we could have predicted here, you know, uh, because it, it took down Miles, it took down uh, Jeff Long, the athletic director, the, you know, whole house of cards came down. What were your thoughts as, as you saw this all unfold? You know, it's just hard to believe, I guess, that all this happened and that, you know, it was known prior to him getting hired at Kansas, I think was the biggest thing. And obviously that was the the death sentence for Jeff Long's tenure as the AD at Kansas. You had that information ahead of time. There's no real excuse in doing that. You know, I, I was relatively optimistic that Les would find some success in Kansas. I mean, it, it's not like he could have done much worse than what had been done in the post-Mark Mangino area um, um, at, at Kansas. So, I mean who nobody I think thought that this is how it would end but you know obviously there was no choice in the matter every time you see someone get placed on administrative leave uh indefinitely that almost always is a precursor to a termination so I think everybody knew just as soon as that happened that that was the end of Les Miles not just at Kansas but the end of Les Miles's career as a coach you won't see him potentially as a broadcaster because that name's toxic at this point. There's no way. The last of Les Miles in the public eye. Um, and, you know, deservedly so. The allegations against him are extremely serious. Um, a, lot of, a lot of things that, you know, were surprising to come to light. But um, clearly Kansas made a mistake in judgment, bringing him there, kind of ignoring the character flaws. We've talked about this a million times about how winning tends to cure all as it pertains to scumbag coaches, uh, scumbag players, even as particularly in the professional ranks um, who have the, who get 50 chances because they're really good at a certain thing and get, you know, there's ignored what they've done and whatnot. So, I mean, I, Miles wasn't winning at a level that he could have survived much of any kind of controversy right now because, you know, he hasn't had a ton of on-field success at Kansas. Um, but he certainly, for this kind of allegation, wasn't going to come anywhere close to be able to maintain his job. And, you know, honestly, it, it's a weird day for to, to think about college football without less Miles around. Um, he's been one of the most eccentric personalities over the last what say 15 years or so that he's been really in the public eye 15 16 years um really when he got to LSU I think is when everybody really realized more who he was and what he was about so uh but yeah I mean it's shocking uh just so surprised that so many people would stick their neck out for him to give him this opportunity and you're seeing a lot of dominoes fall and who knows there's a lot going on at LSU uh, with the within the LSU athletic department, that's very very serious, uh, and it'll be interesting to see what happens there going forward. I don't think this is the last um, coaching casualty or anything like that, or administrative casualty that we'll see as a result of everything that's been going on in Baton Rouge within that athletic department. So 
Les Miles, goodbye, good riddance, you weird bastard. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's the thing, is if we're going to talk about surprise, I think the most surprising thing, as you said, is the extent to which the cover-up went on. Um, you know, as somebody who's filed FOIA requests before Freedom of Information Act requests, for those of you who aren't familiar with that acronym, um, but for somebody, as somebody who's filed those requests before, I understand just how much of a rigmarole it can be to actually get anything out of those anyway. Um, but the fact that they were using the law firm to basically launder so much of the information that was coming in that was, I mean, irrefutably disturbing about Les Miles and the fact that they were using that as a wash so that they wouldn't have to release it under public information records requests is it one it's really just damning about LSU and we've even heard their former university president who's now at Oregon State and his name is escaping my mind at this exact moment but even he's under review at Oregon State as to whether he's going to remain the university president there after this so you know this is something that goes beyond the football field this is something that he resigned today Zach oh did he okay King Alexander resigned a few hours before we recorded so very recent Okay, yeah, it, it, I had not caught that yet. So, you know, the fallout of this just continues to trickle down, and it, it's from the top down just how dirty this all was. And, you know, one, it makes, like you said, it makes me wonder what else is going to fall at LSU, and um, for all the principals who were involved in this, um but it also makes you wonder more generally how many athletic departments are doing this. Um, how many individuals are having their, their dirty laundry uh, cleaned up by high-powered attorneys and loopholes of this nature? Uh, how much of the information that journalists and academics and just concerned members of the public are trying to seek through these, um, you know, the Freedom of Information Act and through these public records requests, you know, how much of that is being withheld, how much of the public trust is being eroded day by day, it, it, not just at LSU, but how prevalent is this? It, it really makes you wonder. Yeah, I mean, I think particularly in athletic departments where big football programs or basketball programs, stuff like that ends up being sacrosanct, right? Like there's no wrong that these people can do. And your ardent supporters are going to support those coaches until the very bitter end, no matter how disgusting the allegations are. I mean, you're at a school right now, Zach, that we saw this same thing at, at the end of the Joe Paterno era at Penn State, how many fans students, former players jumped and rallied to his defense despite, despite all the evidence and all the despicable things that he covered up during his days um, at Penn State. So, I mean, obviously, um, that's a 
very big example of that. But I mean, that's what it, it comes down to is you're always going to have people who defend that. Miles doesn't have the track record with Kansas that he had at LSU to have people jumping to his defense. Kansas fans probably are mostly indifferent about the whole situation with Miles because he wasn't winning. If he had been winning at Kansas, though, this would be a whole different conversation because fans would be going nuts about it and, and everything like that. Or if this had happened at LSU at the peak of his powers um, with the Tigers and this had come out and he had to be let go, just imagine um, the vitriol you would be seeing from that fan base and the toxicity from supporters of LSU. Uh, but I think that's the reason this story hasn't been as big of a deal publicly is because he wasn't winning football games at Kansas at the level that he had won football games at LSU. Well, and I think that in large part is the whole reason why LSU went to such great lengths to cover it up the way they did. You know, the skeletons in the closet are much easier to expose if you're trying to fire a coach with cause rather than trying to keep around a winning coach. And I just, I wonder how many more of these stories are just hidden there that we just can't get to because of the loopholes that athletic departments have found. But you're absolutely right winning papers over so many things for coaches and I, I, I mean I hate to say it um, and I you know I'm not going to make an inference about any individual program but you can look at a lot of winning programs throughout history and there has been something underhanded going on to get there um, you know there's a cover-up of one sort or another uh, you know, whether it's the payroll at SMU or it's, you know, a, a litany of police reports just kind of swept under the rug at universities across the country, really. You can, you know, I, I mean, you can name a university right now and you can probably identify at least five things like that that have just been quietly, you know, kind of swept away. And it's unfortunate, but it, it's also football at this point. It's the way that this sport developed. And with the inordinate power that's placed in the hands of a coach, like you said, winning cures all ills. And a winner is going to get every benefit of the doubt they can. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And that's the sad state of affairs, but I mean, you would, I, this isn't something that is unique to, you know, I use Penn State as an example. It's not unique to Penn State. Every single um, program, every single university would have those ardent supporters who would just defy any type of evidence uh, to support their team, support their player. I mean, you're seeing it right now. Uh, to use another example with Deshaun Watson in the NFL with all the allegations of um, sexual misconduct that have come out about him in recent weeks that have been really surprising. And, you know, we're going to touch on that too much because this is a college football podcast and he's not a college football player anymore, which is the same thing. You've seen people rushing to his defense, former teammates, coaches, 
fans without seeing all the evidence, just immediately saying, well, this guy can't do that. And the thing we've learned over the last, at least for me, at least the last decade plus, is you never really truly know anybody. Anybody is capable of doing just awful things to other human beings. And I mean, we see that, we've seen so many examples. So it always baffles my mind to me, Zach, that people can still be surprised by human behavior with all the examples we've seen from just surprising sources over the years to have turned out to be terrible people and have done horrible things. We are capable as humans of doing terrible things to each other. And we've proven that time and time again, and it shouldn't come as a massive surprise when a public figure like a Deshaun Watson, like a Les Miles, when they are accused of and proven to have been doing terrible things to other people. It, it, it is unfortunate, and it speaks to the power dynamics that really are at the heart of college football and, you know, inform college football's primacy within the college sports landscape and you know, football kind of rules over everything. It's unfortunately the way it goes. Just like winning rules over everything, football kind of trumps everything else at, at the university level for so many of these places. And that includes the academics themselves oftentimes. So, uh, well, you know, I, I don't want to beat this dead horse anymore. Um, we'll let less go off grazing into the sun and, uh, you know, hopefully, as you said, just stay, you know, stay in, in private life for the rest of his days. He's certainly got enough millions at this point to, to walk away even after whatever legal fees end up getting paid out, living a comfortable life. So, you know, at this point, that would be the best thing for everybody publicly it is for that to happen and, you know, restitution to happen for those who were wronged by Miles. Um, but beyond that, you know, I can't, I can't wish anything more for him. <laughs> so let's take a break quick. And uh, when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about the death of a winning streak in the spring. So stay tuned. Welcome back from the break to the Saturday Blitz podcast, everybody. We just finished up uh, talking about the Les Miles saga at LSU in Kansas and the continuing fallout from that. And, you know, we're going to turn our attention now to actual football that's being played because, you know, with everything that happened last fall... The FCS pretty much, I wouldn't say universally because some teams still played a limited slate of games, but uh, the FCS by and large called off its season until the spring, so we're right in the heart of it right now. And I think one of the most interesting storylines is just how clumped up the Missouri Valley Conference is. Um, and that's because 
North Dakota State lost a game. It's not something we hear, uh, have heard that frequently in recent years, uh, but they fell to Southern Illinois a couple of weeks ago. Uh, they're still 5-1 and one overall when you include their one game from the fall. They're 4-1 and one in conference play, tied with, uh, I think it's North Dakota and South Dakota State, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so, yeah. What do you think, uh, you know, uh, about the fact that the Bison actually lost a game, John? I, I mean, it was inevitable at some point, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Definitely shocking, and not just to lose a game, but, I mean, they were thoroughly dominated by Southern Illinois. It was a 38-14 game, so it wasn't like they even were all that competitive. So just shocking to see them lose, more shocking to see them lose the way they lost. You know, I mean, everybody loses, as they always say, any given Saturday. Um, anybody can beat anybody, which is very surprising to see them handled the way they were ultimately handled. Um, you know, obviously not having Trey Lance ha has been difficult, a difficult adjustment for North Dakota State's offense as he prepares for the upcoming NFL draft next month. But, you know, it's not like they're without talent. I mean, Iowa State transfer Zeb Noland is there um, and been playing some quarterback for them. So, I mean, they have talent all over the place. So, and obviously, you know, we're talking about North Dakota State struggling. They're probably still going to win the Missouri Valley Conference. They're still probably the best team in the FCS. But it shows, I think, Zach, how dominant they've been for so long that we'd be this surprised by them losing a singular football game. It's a lot like, you know, Alabama losing at the FBS level every time that happens. Everyone pours over it, examines it, spends hours talking about it because it's just shocking. You're surprised to see that happen. So I'm sure they'll get things uh, righted. Obviously, that was a few weeks ago. They've won several games since then, um, and they seem to have uh, figured some things out to the point that they're once again probably going to finish at the top of the FCS ranks would be um, my guess. Yeah, you know, I, I think Noland had a rough game against the Salukis, and like you've said, weird things happen. Nick Baker just carved up North Dakota State's defense, went 17 of 23, 254 yards. Um, they had four rushing touchdowns against the Bison, so it's, it, it, it's the FCS season this spring is just so hard to predict from week to week. And these are still individuals in the midst of a pandemic dealing with classes that um, may or may not be in person. Um, you know, you have high flex options and fully remote options. And it's a weird time in academia generally. <clears throat> so the fact that anybody is playing at all is, you know, it's still strange to me. We're not at a point where we're, you know, vaccinated to that point of a herd immunity in our society and yet the show goes on. And that can be, I, I mean, we saw it during the FBS season. We, if you go out there and, and read 
um, you know, some of the workout, they're actually talking to the players. It's a draining experience to play in these conditions, you know, beyond the usual drain of a football season. Guys are going to shut down, you know, from week to week. Maintaining focus in this environment is hard enough when all you have to deal with is school. And, uh, you know, I, I understand from the situation I'm in where you throw work on top of it, on top of doing coursework, and it gets, I mean, it's stressful as hell. And, you know, you're not, normally spring would be your opportunity to kind of recharge, reset, you know, focus on some academic work. You have spring practices coming up, but you're actually playing games now. It's strange as hell, John. I, 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 I'm still thrown off by this FCS spring and, um, but at the same time, I do want to keep things in perspective because, you know, for as dominant as North Dakota State has been over the past decade at this point, very few of their championship seasons have been undefeated championship seasons. You know, they they ran the table last year with Trey Lance and, you know, it... it it's one of those things that's magical when you put it all together, right? Absolutely. But it's not like they've done it for nine years straight, you know? They didn't come close to matching, you know, the 57-game winning streak that Oklahoma put together back in the 50s. You know, it, it, it's nothing in, those, in that sort of range. So... <sighs> I, I, I think your perspective about it just being a weird Saturday for them is probably more, it, it's a more logical explanation than trying to be shocked about it. Because that, it's football and it's spring football. <laughs> yeah, I mean, going undefeated is incredibly difficult no matter what sport you're talking about. I mean, Alabama's been the preeminent football program you know, over the last decade and a half, and they've done it twice. Yeah. You know, they've won six national championships since 2009. Only two of those were undefeated seasons. So, I mean, it's incredibly difficult to win every game you play to be that focused, you know, week in and week out. And, like, to your point, in the spring season especially, with everything that's going on, it's – even more difficult, I would say, to try to be prepared to win every game every week right now with all the uncertainty and with everything. And I, I feel bad, honestly, for a lot of these players because I don't feel like this spring season has brought the limelight to FCS football as much as I think the hope was splitting it away, that there would actually be, you know, more of a spotlight on these players, these teams, and there just hasn't been the excitement around FCS football just hasn't been there. And I mean, it speaks to how difficult it has been for spring football to work in professional sports. I mean, we've seen the XFL, we've seen um, the Alliance League and several others attempt to have a spring football season. Just people don't care about football as much in the spring. The spring football people care about are starting across FBS campuses right now where the teams are 
coming together to begin initial preparations for the 2021 college football season, examining your early depth charts, figuring out who the young guys who are going to step up and make a move and replace the veterans are. That's the spring football people care about right now. And that, you know, still hasn't changed with the FCS season being here. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, it's sad in a way. I, I, I think you're right about that. But I mean, the fact is, is we're at the heart of the season right now. And, you know, it's clashing with the men's and women's NCAA basketball tournaments. Um, and by no means is football the only sport that's playing this spring. You know, I think about, you know, you the Penn State campus here and fall sports are playing simultaneously with spring sports you know, aside from football here, but you still have, you know, facilities log jams where fall sports teams are having to find, you know, they're having to find space for those teams to practice at the same time that spring sports need to be doing the exact same thing. So just, just the logistics of making this all work is, is head spinning. And, you know, we're just at a point where, you're right. The FCS gets lost in the shuffle and you know, the, the rare stories that we've heard are, you know, not even the teams that are necessarily at the top of, you know, the standings or that are actually going to shuffle into the playoff bracket. But, you know, it's, you know, we're hearing about Deion Sanders as much as anything else right now. And, um, for as great as that story is, I, I think when we, you know, pin too much on, you know, one or a few big storylines and North Dakota State is another one that's been way too dominant in recent years to the point where I think more interest comes with the fact that North Dakota State is fallible than, you know if they're just another dominant, you know, Bison team. Maybe that generates more interest after the fact, but now that we're, you know, butting up against all of these other sports that are playing, both college sports and professional sports at this point, it, it's just an unfortunate, you know, reality but I, I don't think they made the, you know, I think the last thing I want to mention in this segment is they didn't make the wrong calculation, you know, because I think ultimately the FCS decided to make these decisions less on whether or not this was suddenly going to make more money for them or bring more spotlight to, to you know, this subdivision of Division One football. Um, but they did it for pragmatic health reasons. And I think we're definitely, well, certainly not out of the weeds yet. We're at a safer point as a society. Um, protocol is still exactly what it is. And we're still seeing teams have to deal with limited schedules based on cancellations and postponements. There was no right answer, I guess, is is my final takeaway from all of this. And no, definitely not. There's, I mean, there's been very few right answers in the last 13 months. Oh, boy, ain't that the truth. 
Well, you know, maybe you can go find a right answer by grabbing yourself a cold one, you know, taking an interlude to the restroom, uh, stepping outside for a brief nicotine break, whatever it is you need to do. Uh, we're going to do the same and we'll be right back with our final segment. Stay tuned. Welcome back for our final segment of this week's Saturday Blitz podcast, everybody. So great being back with you all this week. And in this last segment, I want to critique the... Uh, infatuation, I guess, would be the, the word I'd want to use here with prototypical body types in football. That might sound very esoteric, but we'll just put it into two simple words that I think every, you know, college and NFL fan will be able to understand right now. Devontae Smith. So, everybody knows Devontae Smith. He's the damn Heisman winner, right? I mean, just had one of the most electrifying seasons as a receiver that I've seen in my lifetime. Uh, and the guy weighs 170 pounds. It's not like he weighs less than he did when he won that Heisman Trophy or any of the previous seasons that he spent in Tuscaloosa. This is kind of a, you know, well-known fact at this point. He's pretty forthright about the fact that he is a lithe dude it's just what he is so and, and yet you know the fact that NFL scouts have this predisposition with finding the perfect body type for a position and you know the indestructible body means Devontae Smith could miss out on some money you know, I, I mean, that could be the difference in falling three, five, ten draft spots. The fact that he doesn't weigh another 10 or 15 or 20 pounds. Do you think we put too much stock into this, John? Do you think, or or I guess another thing I'd ask, and, and you can just respond to all of this, because I'm going to throw it out there and I'm rambling right now. Um do you think this is just a ploy by NFL teams to try to get other teams to to shy away from a player and, and kind of plummet them down to their draft spot? Or is there any logic behind worrying about, a, a you know, a draft prospect's size? You know, I, I feel like we do this every single year. And I don't, I don't mean we like Zach and I in terms of talking about this. We do talk about it because we get irritated by this, you know, magnifying glass that's put on these prospects. I mean, I get it. These NFL teams are making million-dollar investments, millions of dollars they're investing in these prospects. They're going to examine everything with a microscope. But how many times does a smaller player have to prove 
that they're really good and make people regret passing on them. I mean, how many times? You would think with the fact that the last um, or two of the last number one draft picks at quarterbacks, Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, were both short quarterbacks in comparison to what we think of as prototypical size. You would think when we see guys like Antonio Brown, Deshaun Jackson, um, Marvin Harrison even back in the day, dominate at receiver, that it would be enough to realize if you can play, you can play. It doesn't really matter how big you are. Great players are great players. And if there's one thing we all have seen from Devontae Smith, he's a great football player. I mean, he's proven that time and time again. He's an excellent route runner. He's got great hands. He can do, you know, they worry about his size. They worry about his speed. You know how fast Devontae Smith is, Zach? As fast as he damn needs to be every time he gets the ball. Have you? How many times have you seen somebody chase him down? Because I, I can't even recall a single period of time that I've seen that. He catches the ball. He runs. If he needs to run another mile per hour faster, he's going to do it. And he's going to do it. And he's going to get there. And he's going to be faster than you are off the line. That's how that's going to go. He's been mostly durable during his career. He had a lingering hamstring issue as a sophomore. But he was healthy as a junior, healthy as a senior. I mean, he had the freak finger injury. Um, in the national championship game, but I can't imagine being 20 pounds heavier would have prevented his finger from getting broken um, in a weird collision with an Ohio State linebacker. And this transcends sports. His size thing just always, it even transcends sports. I remember, I'll take you back 14 years ago into 2007, and we're jumping over sports right now. There was two top prospects for basketball. And Zach's not an NBA guy, so he might be wondering what the hell I'm talking about, which makes it even better. But there was two top prospects that year in college basketball. One was a can't-miss center who had prototypical size, seven feet tall, 260 pounds, just prototypical everything, perfect. The other was a tall, lanky forward who couldn't barely bench press or couldn't even bench press the 185 at the NBA draft combine. Couldn't do it. Couldn't lift it. Too small. Was never going to be able to handle the rigors of an NBA schedule because his body wasn't enough. And Zach probably does, based on his reaction, know who I'm talking about. Portland messed up. At the time of this happening. But the Trailblazers in 2007 took Greg Oden over Kevin Durant. Greg Oden was the can't-miss, prototypical-sized prospect. Kevin Durant was the lanky kid who couldn't bench press 185 pounds. Was never going to be able to handle... Um, contact in the NBA. Who's still playing, right? Exactly. Look at what's happened now. Greg Oden's been out of the league, never developed. I hate it for Greg Oden. He probably would have been a great prospect, but injuries ruined his career. Yeah. Kevin Durant is probably already, no matter what he does from here on out, one of the 10 to 15 greatest basketball players to ever play the game. This kind of thing transcends sports. If you can play, you can play. Doesn't matter what your size is to me. If an NFL scout, an NFL coach, an NFL GM, whoever, turns on the tape, looks at Devontae Smith play football, and decides, you know, I think he's a little too small, let's pass on him, that guy should be fired immediately. If I was an owner and that was the kind of crap that was brought back to me, I would fire the guy, no questions asked, because Devontae Smith can play. 
somebody, if he falls a little bit, you're going to – this is why bad teams always draft so high, and those bad teams stay bad teams because they overanalyze. They let players like Devontae Smith end up falling to really good franchises who don't give a crap about that kind of stuff, and that's why this cycle repeats every year where the same teams draft high and the same teams make the playoffs. It, it's sad, but it's true. It really is. And, you know, I, I think the other thing that really stands out for me is just the way the NFL is shifting and the way that positions are so much more fluid these days. You know, we think about, like, people are, are up in arms about Devontae Smith being 170 pounds, but... Running backs are regularly these tiny guys bursting through holes, you know, sub 200 pound, taking a lot more contact than a receipt, you know, on a on a play by play basis than a receiver necessarily, you know, might not get blasted up the middle with the same velocity necessarily on a single given play. Um, but, you know pound for pound play you know on a play for play average is going to take a lot more brute force you know whether it's blocking in the backfield or actually carrying the ball or anything else a running back is going to do and you regularly see these you know really tiny fleet guys doing that just fine um and I, you know, I hate to bring that up as an example because running back is also the shortest lived possible position that you can play in the NFL for most guys. You know, if you survive to a third season, you are in rarefied air at that position. And I certainly wouldn't wish for Devontae Smith to be crushed out of the league by year three, um, given that you know how electric a talent he is and could potentially be as a pro and you know the fact that he didn't get to make any money for that over the past few years that he was at Alabama so it's you know it's time to cash in and don't be stupid NFL teams you know who can play the game people always love to talk about watching the tape and scouts love to talk about just chewing up tape, you know. They 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 they've got their eye on everything. Um, well, keep your eye where it counts. You know, the scale is a fascinating place to look and quantifying every minute detail that you can um, will make you feel better about justifying your investment in the end. But ultimately, um coming up with all the justifications in the world for passing on somebody that you know could be a solid contributor is just digging yourself into a hole. It's, it's a, it's a quick way to justify the owner going in a different direction. Absolutely. I mean, Marvin Harrison's a hall of fame receiver was listed at 179 pounds during his career. Devontae's 170 right now, probably will end up playing at around 175 to 180 when he gets into NFL strength and conditioning programs. So, you know, I size just never has 
meant less in terms of sports nowadays than it does because people are more open to the fact that, you know, regardless of size, you can be a good football player. I think the quarterback position has been the best example of that because it used to be if you weren't the 6'4", 6'5", prototypical big-armed quarterback at that size, you weren't going to be considered a top draft pick. Kyler Murray bucked that trend completely a couple years ago when he was the number one overall pick in the draft and, you know, measured in under five feet 10 and has obviously proven the Cardinals correct so far by playing extremely well in the NFL um, as not a surprise to either one of us who, you know, we both saw Kyler Murray plenty in college, knew he had the arm strength, knew he had the talent to be particularly in nowadays NFL with how the game has moved to be a really good quarterback. So no, I mean, this is the kind of move someone is going to pass on Devontae Smith. I hope the team that does pass on him because of his weight has to watch him get drafted by their biggest rival and then watch him just tear them up twice a year for the next decade. Exactly. Just because I'm six foot one and 190 pounds, everybody does not mean you want to draft me ahead of this guy. It, it's that simple. Um, because I'm carrying that 190 pounds in all the wrong places. And if I was actually in shape like him, I'd probably be closer to 170. But, you know, even more of a bean pole. Devontae Smith's not sitting at home drinking beer or talking on a podcast at 10 o'clock at night like Zach and I are. <laughs> and he's all the better for it. But on that note, John, you know, I... I I, I think we, we've definitely spoken our piece about how ludicrous it is to put too much stock in these, you know, combine measurables, if you will. Um, but do you have any thoughts on, I mean, anything that's happened over the past couple of weeks that you want to make sure we get out there before we shut down shop this week? Um, the one thing that really stuck out to me, uh, and I tweeted about this yesterday, was Warren Sapp's over-criticism of Christian Barmore uh, for whatever reason. It's not because he was an Alabama player. I just find it weird when former players go out of their way to try to take food out of the mouths of the guys who come after them, particularly a guy that plays the same position as Warren Sapp played. Like, I get if you're trying to analyze, you need to be honest with your evaluations, But Warren Sapp just went totally over the top when it came to his criticism of Barmore, acted like if someone took him in the first round, it would be the dumbest thing that's ever happened. Like, give me a break. Like, I get, again, being critical and being fair, but that kind of evaluation to me has always struck me as so weird. It's the same thing as watching people trash athletes, particularly unpaid athletes on Twitter and social media. Like, we all get pissed off when our favorite team has a player who makes a big mistake in a key situation, but I'm never going to hop on social media and trash that player or anything like that. Everybody should heed that advice. Former players should do more to help grow the game and help players out. Warren Sapp has a problem with Christian Barmore. I bet you could find Christian Barmore's contact info and he'd love to talk to you. because He probably grew up idolizing you back in your heyday in Tampa Bay um, during the those really good Bucks teams, particularly when they won the Super Bowl. I'm sure Christian Barmer knows who you are. He'd love to talk to you. He'd be thrilled to have someone like you with your expertise to 
help him along the way to help him develop his game and help him become the player he'd like to become. Instead, you go on social media multiple times and trash a kid. And that, to me, is just utterly ridiculous. I was extremely disappointed. I lost a lot of respect for Warren Sapp that I probably won't gain back. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, it leaves me with a couple of closing thoughts. First of all, if you need to analyze somebody in your role with a network or a media outlet of of some sort, do that. Be as critical as you need to be when you're on camera and everything. Don't be a dick on social media. Do not punch down. And and that goes for everybody. Do not punch down at people. Second, it goes along with that. It, It and I think it's really important, especially with March Madness going on right now. And unlike the NCAA, I include women in March Madness. Um, but you know, with March Madness going on, players are going to mess up shots. Not every bucket is going to land. Somebody will be sitting at the free throw line and the ball will clang. It's going to happen. Um, but I've already seen it several times, you know, on Twitter and, and whatnot, that players have been receiving death threats, you know, like wishing, you know, young men and women who are not even getting paid for this yet to die for missing a shot that had your school lose. Don't be that asshole. Just don't do it. If you're, you're thinking about it, the perfect time to delete that shit is before you hit send. Don't do it. Just just do not do it. If you do it, you are the asshole. It's that simple. And on that note, and it kind of ties in with what I just said there, um, you know, with the tournament going on, uh, I, I think we've seen a lot of really illuminating things lately in terms of the NCAA's um, commitment to gender equity um, and, and just how far that actually goes for the organization. And so if you actually care about college sports, give a damn about the women's game, um, you know, and give a, you know, like hoot and holler, put the NCAA on bl- blast. And more importantly, Realize that it's your school that's helping perpetuate that. So get on the horn to your athletic director and tell them to start advocating for women to have equitable conditions in competition. It's that simple. And I I don't need you to tell me what revenue comes in or whatnot because the NCAA has always said this is bigger than the revenue that comes in and it is all about providing equal opportunities for the men and women who will go pro in something other than sports. And if they have a real commitment to that and if you actually give a damn about college sports, you should have a commitment to that recognize that the NCAA is just the front organization for your school and every other school that's allowing this to happen. So if you care, put your school on blast.
on that note, everybody, it's so great being back with you. Thanks for uh, enjoying, hopefully enjoying this freewheeling episode this week. And uh, we look forward to being back with you again more regularly now that John and I are both in the same time zone. So uh, we'll catch you again next Wednesday for the uh, Saturday Blitz podcast. Until then, have a wonderful week. Thank <laughs> you.